Hello, everyone. Welcome to Intersecting Ideas, a podcast dedicated to talking about life and culture, engaging friends, and just finding out what they believe and how it fits in the community, how it fits in the world, and how it fits into all of our lives around us. So today's episode has actually been a pretty anticipated episode. It's, this episode is a conversation on flat earth and round earth whether it is flat or whether it's round. And so we are going to get into it today. And we have some awesome guests on coming from both perspectives. So this is truly where ideas intersect. And this kind of gets to the heart of the opening this podcast is so that we can actually have good dialogues, intellectual conversations regarding tough topics that are diametrically opposed but we can still engage in a good, healthy conversation. So with that, I want to go ahead and open the floor up here and introduce the guest. The first one is Jen White. Jen, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? So my name is Jen White. I have a bachelor's degree in physics and math and a master's degree in physics. And I work as a flight dynamics engineer uh, at NASA under a contract for USGS on a earth observing satellite so we can probably figure out where my stance is so you're Um, the flat earth person right (laughs) right (laughs) okay so yeah in my free time i like to mountain bike use that gravity (laughs) to my advantage uh and i just generally like to be outside awesome well thanks welcome to the show next person we have up here my friend aaron harley Aaron, what's happening? What's going on? What's going on? So uh, let's see a little bit about myself. I'm probably uh, a little different than most um, because I was uh, homeschooled. So I didn't go to what you would call uh, public education or even Christian school. I got the same kind of, uh, we got the same curriculum as everybody else in school. But because I was homeschooled, I did a lot of reading growing up as a a kid. And actually, interestingly enough, I didn't even watch television till I was a teenager because my father didn't think that it was, uh, the television was was, uh, not gonna be good for our education. And so what ended up happening is I would sit around as a kid and just read entire encyclopedias because I basically had nothing else to do. And I actually made it all the way A to Z um, on encyclopedia. And, And honestly, he would drop us off at the library and I would do the same thing. I would just read historical documents of, explorers and and all kinds of stuff because like I said and I would just take it home and do the same thing because like I said you know without that tv going and and video games and stuff what else are you going to do when surrounded by a bunch of sisters so I went out of course I I I graduated from homeschool I went to Bowie State University and uh, got a bachelor's in in business information systems and, and went into the world of computers and computer programming, that kind of stuff. Um, And I've been doing that ever since, but I've never, I guess, lost my love of history and search for the truth and all of the different material that's out there. In that search for the truth, I came upon the whole flat earth thing. And I guess uh, that's what we're going to dive in today. Yeah. Unbelievably enough. Well, well, Aaron, (laughs) thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. Glad we can get you on to discuss this topic. I know you and I have kind of ping-ponged in the background uh, on this topic, you know, for quite some time in a group chat. So also, uh, we'll leave out. Got my co-host, Wes Handy. Hey, what's up, folks? Hey, welcome, welcome, Jen and Aaron. This this should be lively. 
looking forward to see what we come up with uh, before it's all said and done. Yeah. So I think Aaron hit on a, you hit on a good point. You said, you know, we want to, you said a quest for truth. So at the end of the day, that is what we're looking for. We want to, you know, what, what is true in this situation? I always say, why do we believe what we believe? And we want to give rationale for that. And that is part of this conversation. And with that in mind, there has been an uptick within flat earth movement. There's been a lot more advocates, a lot more people, notable basketball players have come out. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Yeah, he came out and he said, made some statements, got himself in a little trouble. So that's the only one either. No, no, no. There's, there's several. So and that's, that's the thing. It's, it's been a, you know, a lot, a lot of people don't realize it, but there is a movement and there's not necessarily a consensus though, fully across the board, not like one organization that holds all the thoughts on it. So with that in mind, I want to start out by kind of handing this off and letting uh, Aaron present your position and the way you understand it and the way you've come to conclude and how you, how you got there and you know, it's just some presentations on how and the rationale that's led you there. All right. So, I mean, obviously, like you said, there's been a huge uptick in the number of people that took a look at this. And obviously, me being the kind of person inquisitive and curious that I am jumped out there when all of this started. Actually, it was prior to it becoming mainstream, honestly, before these basketball people and you've got certain kind of other pop culture folks that came out and they watched a couple of YouTube videos and all of a sudden they were they were on the plate. So it's kind of interesting to me because I've always said that for millennia, well-educated people, honestly, for most of our recorded history, that's at least 4,500 years, people have thought that the earth was flat and the center of the universe and in most cultures protected by some sort of a dome. And it obviously it wasn't until the 16th century when Nikolai Copernicus introduced that different model where the sun was at the center of the universe and the earth revolved around it. A theory, interestingly enough, that couldn't be proven for hundreds of years, but that theory was promoted um, during that time with pretty much no proof. So that model came as a result of the church. And I don't want to miss that point in history, because if you do the history on the heliocentric versus the geocentric model, the church played a very strong role in actually promoting one model over the other, mainly because the original model, which was the biblical model, which was a flat disc, was also, you know, most civilizations thought the same thing, the Bible being the old book that it is, that pretty much went in line with that thinking until the Roman Catholic Church kind of changed their view on it and then started allowing the, the other model to kind of get out there. And of course, ever since then, we've been on this sphere model where the sun is the center of the universe. And the flat model was kind of just dismissed entirely as the imaginations of clueless men who have yet to be enlightened because that was the era that this all happened and we were all enlightened, um, interestingly enough. So, I mean, everyone knows the globe model because of course we were all taught since we were three, I would add by force, we had no choice. Um, it was mandatory training. Um, but if you all indulge me, I'm gonna give you kind of the 10 things that I've seen out there where people that obviously still believe the globe model need to know about the flat earth that, um, you know, there's a lot of fallacies and half truths and theories about folks that haven't even really taken a look at it. So, you know, I asked Mike, let me jump through 10 things because, and these will probably resonate. And the number one is 
never forget we used to be you. All right. A lot of glow people were never flatter people. Every flatter person used to be a glow person. So most glow people have not researched flat earth, but have been taught to laugh and ignore it. But every flat earth person knows the globe story. We were forced to. What made so many of us switch is the question, right? Um, is the lie that powerful or was the truth that powerful? What in this flat earth thing would make us open ourselves to obvious ridicule and mockery? You know, what will make us endure that and kind of laugh back? That's number one. Number two, and I have to say this, none of us belong to the Flat Earth Society. I just wanted to put that out there. That website is a bigger joke to us than it is to any Globe person, okay? I think the Globe people pay more attention to that website than anyone that's serious about the Flat Earth research. There's no Globe Society to you all. There's no Flat Earth Society to us. You know, honestly, we think it was put there on purpose to just discredit real facts and truth because it's just a collage of wackiness for anyone that's clicked on it. I only click once, by the way, in my research. I think I lasted 30 seconds and I was gone. So there's that. Number three, no one believes the upward floating disc theory of gravity. Um, if you don't know what that is, don't worry about it. If you do know what that is, none of us believe that. I just wanted to put that out there. Or, or at least number you four. don't believe that. <laughs> <laughs> number four, glow people I've come to realize do not really understand gravity any more than flat earth people. It's still a theory. And I hope we can kind of jump into that, into discussion, just to discuss not only the theory of gravity, but how many different theories of gravity are out there for different situations, I found out just doing a little bit of research. That's that one. Number five is you cannot insert the flat Earth into the Copernican or heliocentric model of the universe. We don't put the globe in the flat Earth and try to make it work, and you can't do that the other way around. So the opposing views, unfortunately, are like oil and water. They do not mix. Um, Number six, I know Jen's from NASA, but I need, I want people to do a little research. I'm sorry, Jen, to do no a little research, a little research on NASA, um, because I think it is important, the history of NASA, one, how it came to be, which the history is that the original people that started uh, NASA were from Nazi Germany. Um, they were the scientists there that worked there. America, of course, brought them over here. And long story short, Warner Van Braun became the director. He was the lead scientist from Germany that started NASA. And his team was a bunch of scientists from Germany that uh, did not get, um, um, let's say, for lack of a better term, taken care of because of their crimes. And they ended up basically starting NASA because America needed to go somewhere in space. And I use that in quotation marks. And by default, they decided that these guys were okay leaving around and that's what they did. And that's the history. There's a lot more, but I have to encourage people to do that. Um, number seven is, is please learn what a fisheye lens is, what it does to images and video, because NASA mostly only uses this lens for its images and videos. And they have I think uh, Jenka probably has probably a good excuse that they've got for doing this. But the reality is, is because they use a fish line, it puts a curve on everything. If you have a GoPro camera, if you've gone anywhere with it, you'll know what I'm talking about. That's a fisheye lens. Um, it'll curve the ground. It'll curve the ocean. It'll curve the sky. It curves anything and everything that is made to look through it. And I think this is by design 
why NASA loves that fish islands, the, the basically. Number eight, the globe does not really have a working map or model any more than the flat earth people do, okay? Because the globe concept has at least, upon my research, about 20 different projections. You've got McCantor, Gail Peters, Miller Syndrical, Mowide, Goods, Homestyle, uh, Sensodia, some stuff I can't, I can't even name some of these. They've got these great Latin words that they gave them, but there's like, there's at least 15 to 20 of them. So, you know, I find it interesting that the only way that somebody can explain the globe is by taking us to one of these projected maps. It seems like the globe is only there to show us that we're on it, but not much else. Um, number nine, relax. No one is falling off the edge of anything. We are no more close to falling off the edge of our flat world than you are to flying off the spinning one. If you're not flying off your world, we're not falling off of ours. That's number nine. And number 10, and this last one is only for the religious uh, uh, element. And that is the Bible is a flat earth book from cover to cover. The Bible does mention a circle. And I would point out a circle is not a sphere. It's a circle. But nowhere in that book is mentioned a ball or a sphere or a lot of what we've come to believe in the modern age. Obviously, that part of it is probably a separate debate because there is so much more, but I thought it worth mentioning. So that's my my intro, and I'm ready to jump in. I hope that kicked off a lot of debate right there. Yeah, yeah, Aaron, thank you. So I'm glad you set that up because that gives us a grid to think through what you believe regarding Flatter's position. Uh, and I'm sure it helps Jen as well to understand because there's not a consensus on a lot of these issues. So I think we got a lot of good points. We'll probably engage and interact with them. Final one on the theological point. Uh, we'll I can take it. We might. <laughs> what's that? We, we so, can talk about that one. Oh, we can talk about it? Okay. Okay. We, we can talk about it. Well, that I mean, I don't know whether we want to get too much into it, but anyway, we can talk, at least give some evidence. Yeah. Maybe way. we can, we can do a, we can tiptoe on that one. I think I want to maybe focus the credence on some of the other points though. Right. More yeah. stick with a little more scientifically conversation. So with that, Jen, you're presenting the position that everyone has grown up with. Uh, so it, you can just go ahead and give us in a nutshell, which, which side you're coming from, how you get there and some rationale behind it. So from my standpoint, ever since I was a little kid, I've always asked why, how, like trying to answer all of these questions. So when I was going through school, I ended up finding physics. Physics is trying to answer the how. How do things work? That's kind of why, well, it was either going to be chemistry or physics. And I ended up going down the road of, of physics. And when you first start learning physics, you start from some basic principles that you've, you know, you were taught in grade school. But when you are working through a degree in physics, you derive equations, you take those equations, you test them, and then you kind of come back to, to being able to see how, how it's all working together. So I think the biggest thing is, is like it took four years of studying physics in undergrad, another two and a half years of physics as a master's degree, and you still kind of only very, it's kind of getting to the surface of it until you, you, know, you pick a specialty and then you really dive into that. 
so the basic idea is it, it takes a long time to really understand how everything works together. When you're first learning physics, there are some basically Newtonian physics that you learn. Distance equals rate times time. And you can kind of build on that and then come to understand that, oh, Newtonian physics, the, the, the equations you probably learn in high school and the intro physics is only scratching the surface of what we can understand. And once you start moving faster and closer to the speed of light, then those those equations don't really work anymore. And you get into relativity. And then if you go to a small scale, you learn that you have to um, learn this new branch of physics called quantum mechanics. So, th so the basic idea with, with all of that is we don't, there's, there's a lot of information to try to understand. Physicists still don't know everything. We are still asking questions. We make a hypothesis. We have, sometimes we have math that is telling us one thing and we try to find an experiment to test that hypothesis. So then we go about testing the hypothesis and it's either right or it's wrong. The great thing about science is if you come up with an idea and you test that idea and it doesn't work, well, then that idea was wrong. So the idea of gravity and the earth being a sphere kind of comes about being able to prove that it is a sphere and that the earth is orbiting around the sun comes about with studying it for many years. And there are a lot of equations and you can sit and you can go through those equations and you can predict what happens and all the math works. So my, my next point that I'm getting to is sometimes people have a really hard time of trying to explain ideas. But when I was trying to go online and research flat earth, I would pick an idea and I would, I would try to research it from the point of, you know, someone who's trying truly to understand this. And the explanations that I would find online were, were horrible. They were atrocious. They, they would say, oh, this leads to this and that's why. I'm like, well, that's not really a very good explanation. So I can completely understand where someone would have a specific idea and try to go down the road of researching that and come to the result of like, well, that, that didn't answer my question because a lot of times it doesn't. What I, I kind of want to do is, is ask Aaron specific questions for what he thinks is happening and then maybe try to address those like one by one. So <laughs> that will work. So uh, we can certainly do that. And we can definitely dialogue and ping pong this thing back and forth. I know Aaron gave us several points to talk through, but also Wes has a couple points that we can probably engage as well. And that is more on the area of epistemology on how basically the 50 cent word for the study of thought yeah. is, is what that would mean. Yeah. Yeah. How do we, know, how do we know what we know? Right. I mean, that's, that's the, the basics behind it. I think both, both of you brought up some points, um, uh, Jen and Aaron, that, you know, having some sort of agreement, even if you know, we may not have an agreement on it, but at least having some sort of discussion on epistemology will help as we move forward. Because I think you're both trying to come to your position based on um, some rules, right? That maybe that you can explain really well, maybe you can't. And that's okay that 
you can't. I mean, that's how everyone is. No one can, there's very few people can explain why they think the way they think. That's, you know, anthropologists that tell us that. <laughs> so, you know, so when we come to epistemology, right, the idea is like, how do we determine what is true versus what is false? And, you know, as we're thinking about that stuff, like, you know, what, you know, I, I guess I'm going to put out these four things and it could be more than this, but, you know, there's an element of reasoning, right? You know, you know, Jen mentioned the, you know, the scientific method, right? That's a, that's a form of reasoning towards something, right? Um, you're, you, maybe you start with some math and you're going to test that, whether that, I said math like a British, but um, <laughs> I watched too many number file videos online, but, um, <laughs> but you, um, you know, but then you're going to test that, you know, some sort of mathematical reasoning with you with experience, you're going to bring, try to create an environment that will, you know, that you can actually touch and feel or, or in some way, maybe through instrumentation to get that and to see whether that's true. You know, Aaron, you know, Aaron, in the same way, right? Like you have certain things, you're, you're trying to reason towards it based on, you know, you even mentioned some of your experience, how, you know, you've, you've, you know, you, you were brought up a certain way, but now you're, you're learning to challenge that based on some things that you've read or studied, right? But right. the one thing that I think is left unstated in both, and this is important, is the role of tradition. I mean, Aaron brought that more clearly, but I think that even plays into the, in the to the scientific piece, right? Where, where does tradition play? And in their scientific traditions are different than other types of traditions, but, but they are there, right? Um, and that may even help, you know, explain, you know, some of the differences and some of the questions like Aaron, you had, you know, how, how did the scientific community, you know, come to adopt or reject anyway, a, I don't want to say reject, but adopt a, a heliocentric yeah. view, right? right? You know, how did they come to adopt it? Why did it take so long? You brought even brought up the point. It took a particular amount of time. And, you know, Jen brought up, you know, you know, special relativity and, and, and quantum mechanics. Those are also ideas that have taken, you know, now about a century, right? To even to really be some of those things are just now being proven, like, you know, gravitational waves, for instance, in the past couple of years. So, you know, there's a there's there's a book I've been reading. It's a great book. It's, it's called the, the Structure of Scientific Revolutions by Thomas Kuhn, uh, uh, professor at MIT of, of philosophy and science, uh, history, of, history of science. And he talks about how science kind of, you know, there is a, a tradition within science that takes that, you know, kind of governs an era, right? And then all of a sudden there's some sort of paradigmatic shift. There's a change in the paradigm where now people have come to adopt a, a new view and all of science now fits within that within that view you know we'll, we'll talk a little bit i want to bring up uh, there's actually a really good quote i want to bring up there later but i want us to think as we're moving forward and as you know as we ask each other back and forth is like because i feel like that's going to be the big question right why do you it's not just like we're going to have different approaches to epistemology here so i, I guess maybe my first question and then i'll let you guys kind of jump in after this but like you know how do you say that you come to actually have knowledge how do you come to know truth about anything, right? How would you describe the process of knowing what is true? To me, you know, it's, it's interesting because, you know, uh, we've got five senses and then I, you know, my father used to have a joke. There's a sixth sense called common sense um, that you kind of, you know, you, you, you kind of born with. Um, and when we say, what, how do we come to know truth? You know, when I, you know, Jim brought up a really great point because, you know, it's, it's funny to me because she sounds like me from a standpoint. I was always curious. I always had questions. 
And honestly, you know, what led me to where I'm at today is the lack of, in my opinion, was a good answer to questions I had of stuff that just didn't make sense when I was led to believe we were on a bouncing ball. Um, and so as a result of that, it's what led me down the path to find out alternate theory or theories. And another great point that Jim brought up was the fact that, you know, it's interesting to me because a lot of times theory gets changed into facts somewhere along the lines in history. What happens is, is, is time passes and people just keep repeating a theory often enough until it becomes fact to a generation and no one can tell me where the theory turned into a fact. In other words, you go along and of course science is supposed to be, you know, when you, when you research science, science is supposed to be repeatable, observable, and demonstrable and that's important for a reason because that would then make something a fact if you could observe it it's something that you can continually repeat and it has the same result every time and what i noticed was is when to, to another great point jim made i had certain questions in the globe and i would ask different people the questions and i would always get a different answer from somebody else and no one, like when you really dove into the, the meat of the matter, you would find out that something that I was taught was a fact, was in fact still a theory. And so when you say, you know, how do you come to truth? To me, how do you come to truth is this finding what is repeatable, observable, and demonstrable. And outside of that truth to me, everything else is still just a theory. I try not to dismiss it. But the interesting thing to me was, is I found so much truth in the flat earth model. And what was blowing my mind, I guess, was the fact that both models aren't taught in school. Because I think other people have these questions too, you know, about certain things that just didn't make sense that they were told and they didn't dive into. And they just automatically said, okay, this is a fact. Like, for instance, like the truth of the gravity. It was always called the theory of gravity in school. It was always called the theory of gravity when I was growing up. And I just, I'm trying to figure out where did it become the fact of gravity? Not saying that gravity doesn't exist. That's important because I'm not jumping off any buildings anytime soon because obviously gravity works from that standpoint. So, you know, you have to preface that with some sort of common sense. You got me? But what I'm saying is, it's like, for instance, like the theory of gravity, there's a, there's a piece of the theory of gravity there in the formula. And it, 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 the piece that I think is the linchpin is the theory of gravity makes the assumption that they know the mass of the earth. And correct me if I'm wrong, Jen, I believe that's correct, right? And that theory of gravity is the mass of the earth. It's either the mass or the center of the earth, but either one. And I, and I researched the mass of the earth. And you, you guys, I don't know if you realize this, but if you research the mass of the earth, they don't really know it. Formula, when you do it in the formula, it always gives you a different result. And of course, during the course of this discussion, I encourage anyone that's listening to go Google any of this stuff because it's right out there. Hey, hey, hey Aaron, let me jump in. Mm -hmm. real quick. So let's let's pull back to, to Wes's original question there. Now you started going. So just to summarize your position, you said it was it is something that's factual, verifiable and observable. Well, no, um, is that what you said? Repeatable, repeatable, observable, and demonstrable. And demonstrable. Okay. Okay. So I was thinking, I was thinking of the scientific method. I thought you're hitting elements of that. So that's observation, question, hypothesis, yes. prediction, test of prediction, mm, circle yes. back around and validate. So that's main five areas of of scientific method that came about across about approximately fifteen hundred years in its development. But Can I ask Wes, a, uh, just a clarifying question on that. 
and and I want to you know get to Jen's Jen's response. So when for those things that are observable, repeatable, does it or do you allow for instrumentation, or does it have to be by an individual that that does those things? When you say instrumentation, clarify that a bit. I mean, like a telescope or oh, like correct, a, yeah. a microscope or you know any any types of scientific equipment has been developed for you know the you know detecting the you know, spectro spectrometers, whatever, whatever the different equipment are. I don't know them all, but definitely. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So on to you, Jen. So I think I, I agree with all of that. Everything should be repeatable. When you ask like, how, how do I know something is real? Being able to, to test it myself would be great, but be able, being able to, ask a question and then predict an answer and then look at that answer and see that it is correct or not. I am, I was thinking exactly of my job that I do every single day. So I'm, I'm trying to think of a way to, to explain it because it's like, it's my word against everyone else's. It's, you know, when, when you start talking about, yeah, NASA and there are, scientists who are you know shills and just paid to perpetrate the 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 whole myth of the the globe my my job every day is to basically predict where our spacecraft is going to be in the sky i said i work on an earth observing satellite so you can look up landsat 8 and go to usgs.gov to the images that Landsat is producing every day. Landsat 7 and Landsat 8 are still flying right now, taking pictures of the Earth every day. They fly in an orbit and our Earth is rotating underneath that satellite every day. And so you can get predictable images of exactly when a certain spot under the Earth is gonna pass. Each spot under the Earth is gonna pass and get an image every 16 days from a single satellite so so sometimes for me it's it's hard without one specific argument to try to explain like how i know the earth is a globe or but but i mean i agree with aaron's idea too that if something's testable and repeatable and you know you can observe it in in a way and wes was saying like using instruments it's, it's hard to like not use the one example that I know of <laughs> to, to explain this. No, I think, so I'm, I'm trying to, in this conversation, I want to be agnostic. So call me the healthy skeptic of both sides, <laughs> right? So in, in this conversation. So I think you both have brought up some good points. And I think Wes's point on the topic of epistemology is a great topic to set a foundation. So I'm going to throw out a phrase to see if we all agree on this phrase, because we're talking about what is the study of thought? So I would tell, I would say that we're entering the realm of rationality, right? It's right thinking, you know, using coming about that rationality through logical thinking as well. And then we move into this idea of scientific research. So that rationality and logic is applied to that scientific research and we run it through those checks. So to take us even step back a little further in the area of epistemology, I would say that truth corresponds to reality. So I repeat it. So the correspondence theory of truth is that truth corresponds to reality. 
So if it is true, it is true, and it corresponds to the reality in the world in which we live in. So whether the earth is round or the earth is flat, there's a truth there. So both people can't be right at the same time. Both can be wrong, wrong. (laughs) but both can't be right. (laughs) Right. See? So I think that I'm just laying it down for a foundation of of truth that we're just trying to seek after something here. So I think with that being said, we all kind of probably nod on that. It's pretty basic. Either lights on in a room or lights off, right? Okay. You know, it's pretty straightforward. But let's get into some of these questions here between, between Aaron and Jen. So Jen... Aaron ran through a lot of things there. You could probably talk about, maybe we can get into some specific things, you know, you know, why Um, doesn't the water run off the end of the world? What about (laughs) gravity? Uh, You know, where's all the helium go? Where's the helium go? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So actually there was, there was one thing that Aaron was mentioning that he said he enjoyed studying history. So back in Copernicus's day, it was, what, a couple hundred years later, um, Kepler was actually the one back in the 1600s. He took observations that Tycho Brahe was making about the motion of planets. And he took all of those observations, and he was the one who originally discovered that planets don't move in circular orbits, that they move in elliptical orbits. And from that, he was able to discover that as the planets got closer to the sun, they went faster. And as the planets got further away from the sun, they got slower. I just wanted to throw that out there. Like, Aaron, have you looked into that at all? Because you, you mentioned something like no one could prove that the planets were going around the sun. So I was just curious about that. I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't. And, and to clarify that, um, to, to, to the straight answer to that question is no, I haven't done that particular um, research into Kepler. I know obviously who Kepler is, but not that particular piece of it that you mentioned. Um, I will say this, and this is, this is interesting. The fact that Kepler made those observations is not a proof or disproof that the earth is spinning. It's just a great observation of what the sky is doing or That's obviously the objects in the sky, right? So again, I'm, you know, from that standpoint, I'm saying I obviously, and what's interesting to me to that point is, you know, we're talking about thousands of years of people that were really good checking out the sky. I mean, the Egyptians, Babylonians, I mean, I've done the Sumerians, I'm going all the way back to the Sumerians um, as far as their ability to seasons, they could map. And this was before, obviously, the invention of a telescope or like Wes was saying, instruments. These guys were, who knows what they had, because that's a whole nother subject, what I think they don't tell us these people had. But they clearly had a lot of intellect. I'll put it that way. That's clear because they did some things. I mean, these people were navigating the seas. They could tell you when. In other words, these people on the flat earth model, so to speak, were coming to a lot of the same conclusions uh, as people that, quote unquote, believe that were on a globe. So when I'm trying to, I guess, um, narrow in on what we're like, are we on a globe or a flat earth? I realized that, you know what, there's some highly intelligent mathematicians, physicists. Look at Egypt, for example, 
I always like to use the pyramid. I said, you know, where the where the where the where the Great Pyramid there, everything else was a copy off that Great Pyramid. No one really even knows. There's a big argument on who really built that thing, but we can all agree it was built a long time ago. And to that point, it was built with such precision to point directly to the North Star, which it's still pointing to to this day, thousands of years later. In other words, it hasn't shifted. So whatever's going on down here between us and the sky, thousands of years later, a little pinpoint hole in the pyramid still points at that exact place that they wanted to over thousands of years. So I'm saying to myself, what can we drill down into that can really settle this question? Are we spinning? And I think that's the kind of place where I get lost on the globe is, is, is <clears throat> when, as soon as they, they put me in motion, I tell myself that's not observable, it's not repeatable, and it's not demonstrable. But if I take time-lapse photograph of the ceiling, it is spinning. And for that, so in other words, because we know something's spinning, they've made the assumption we're spinning. But I'm like, I, you know, I, where is that observable? And that, I guess, and maybe you can have a, uh, have a, I guess, a response to that, I guess, based upon your searching. So if you're in an elevator and you're going up 50 floors, once you get past the first or second floor, do you feel like you're moving? No. Right. So that is a constant velocity. In other words, you're no longer accelerating. Correct. So I, this is also not a proof, but it is an <laughs> right. explanation. Right. <laughs> so as we're spinning on the earth, you don't feel that spinning due to the, the size of the earth. And it is a somewhat constant and I, I hesitate with that constant because there are variations that happen with the the rotation rate that are ever so small. Um, and in my line of work, we end up having to add leap seconds into time every few years or so. Like our last one we added was in 2012. I don't fully understand that. Again, there are people way smarter than me that figure out a lot of this stuff. And then I guess mine goes back to, okay, what, what can I prove? What, so the equations that I am using in my job to predict where my spacecraft is are coming up true every single day. So again, that, that wasn't a proof for you. But my other question would be for you is, like, do you have an explanation for how things work? Like, if you, if you don't think that what we're currently using to describe the Earth as a globe that is spinning every day and the, and the sun is somewhere way over in space and because we're rotating, that's how we get our day and night. Like, do you, what is, what is your explanation? Like, what is your understanding of how a flat earth works with the sun and the moon that i think that's my biggest question was mm -hmm. if, if if the globe isn't right then then how can you explain it because you still come back to all those questions you have as a kid like right. why why is the sun coming up and overhead during noon and then setting in the evening Good stuff all right so okay this is twofold this is a twofold response um one is i want to first go back to your analogy of if you go up in an elevator 
after you, I guess, leave maybe like the second floor, you don't feel it anymore. The issue I have with that one is, is that people have claimed to be outside the elevator. So in other words, we have people that have gone up in the air that were no longer in the elevator that should have experienced the spin. So in other words, I guess my question is this, where does the spin stop? Because the spin has never been observed. In other words, for instance, Felix Baumgartner just went um, a couple of years ago, Red Bull um, did a little promo thing, which I thought I loved it because he took off from Nevada. Was it Nevada or Utah? One of those, one of those states out there, big lot of land. Anyway, he took off, uh, went really high and um, he landed right back in the same state he left it. So in other words, he went all the way up and he landed right back down where he took off from. So I'm saying if our world is spinning the way it is, they claim that it is, him going up that long for that amount of distance, going straight up, by the way, because he was in a balloon, he should have ended up, we, he should have ended up somewhere in the Atlantic Ocean or somewhere other than back in the same state he took off from. So the whole concept to, honestly, most laymen, because of case, of course, if you're talking to a mathematician or a physicist, they can come up with some sort of an algorithm maybe that would only make sense to honestly another physicist or a mathematician. Um, but to the layman, no one has been able to kind of tell me to your point, like how we're spinning. In other words, where does the spin start? Does it start at 30,000 feet, 20,000 feet, 50,000 feet, 60,000 feet? In other words, we can take time lapse time-lapse photography from the earth to the sky and capture it spinning. No one has taken time-lapse photography from a satellite or the space station. We're going to get to that because it's really in low earth orbit, but they claim it's in space. But from the space station, in other words, there's no proof that they claim that we're spinning. That's, I guess, side side one. To this, the second part of that is, is what happens a lot, and this is interesting to me, is that on the, when people are trying to earn, understand the flat earth model, they take pieces of the globe model and put it into the flat earth model. So what you said there was, is you're on this flat earth and the sun is, as soon as you said the sun is a million miles away, that's a, that's a globe thing. Because on the flat earth model, the sun is not millions of miles away. It's only a couple of, in other words, it's in our sort of sort of space, if I could use that term loosely. So the sun is much closer in the flat earth model. And so the impact of its quote unquote rays, if you, the best way I can describe it, have you seen the, uh, the I think it's the yin yang symbol from China, where you, there's a ball in a ball and there's a circular line going through it. Have you seen that, Jen, you know sure. what I'm talking about? Yeah. Okay, so for instance, in the flat earth model, one is the sun, one is the moon. Believe it or not, that's where the Chinese got that from. What it's showing is, is the circular motion of the sun and the moon going around a flat earth. And what they're describing is, is one side is in the dark and one side is in the light as they rotate around a flat surface. So that's why I kind of started, I made one of the points I made in the beginning is, is the mistake that people do is they take a piece of the globe model put it in a flat earth model and then say, that doesn't make sense. And it's interesting that you mentioned that because Mike had brought up a great question. And I think, I can't think of the guy's name. I'm probably going to hack up the pronunciation. He's a Greek, was he Greek? He was from Greece, but he's Greek. Um, Eurathosinis? 
Parathesenes. Yes, I know. Yes. You know what I'm talking about. I get, I'm just happy that none of us can take, take this guy's name right now, but you know who I'm talking about. <laughs> I can't either, but yeah. Well, yeah right. It's <laughs> that guy, the E guy. Um, he basically, of course, hired this person to walk X amount of distances and said, hey, guys, this is proof that the Earth is round because of the shadows. And that was, a, I mean, it was an excellent experiment. I think it worked. But it doesn't prove that we're on a round earth versus a flat, because as soon as you bring the sun closer like it is on a flat earth model, it has the exact same impact, you know? So I'm confused what you mean by that same impact, because if you take a flashlight and shine it from above onto a piece of paper, like you're going to see it over the entire piece of paper. Like at what mm. height does that need to be or what distance does that need to be to be in the dark? And also one thing I was at, uh, wondering about your, um, you were talking about the moon and the sun and the moving around. And yes, I have heard that portion of the, the flat earth model as well, but what explains the phases of the moon? Because you can see a first quarter moon in the day. I, I love that. <laughs> so, you know, it's interesting you bring that. And this is, this, is, this is the good part about this, which I love. And that is, that's why I don't know why both of these aren't taught in school. And I'll tell you why right now. Because the phases of the moon, a lot of them don't make sense on the globe either. In other words, I've gone outside a lot of times. And I've seen, you know, of course, in, again, this is interestingly enough because people, you know, when the flat earth thing happened, ordinary people started going out and start. That's why the flat earth movement started growing because people started going outside and going, wait a minute. They're right. That doesn't make sense. In other words, there's somebody that just did a video the other day I saw where the, the, the shadow of the moon, because allegedly the moon is reflecting the sun, which doesn't make a lot of sense to me either in the daytime because it should be super bright in the sky if the moon and the sun are in the sky at the same time. I'm like, something is off here. If that's a mirror and it's reflecting that, that should be pretty bright too. But that's neither here nor that's another one that doesn't well, make it's, sense. It's a stone, it's a stone mirror. Right? Exactly, right. I'm like, that doesn't make sense. But okay, if it is reflecting it, the reflection angle is wrong. Because the sun will be sitting there, but the reflection angle will be off this way, and the sun will be this way, and it's just, in other words, and you can see it, in other words, it's something that's repeatable, it's repeatably off, it's observable that it's off, and it's all the time. So I can't, to be honest with you, Jen, I, I'm not quite sure on the flat, quote unquote, how that works, but I've seen it not work on the globe either, which is not so really proof of either. I, I would love to, like, when this whole COVID thing is over to come and draw it out for you, like draw it on a piece of paper. Cause I, so I used to teach at a community college and I taught an astronomy class. And that was one thing that like people coming in, even though like they didn't, they didn't think that the earth was flat, but you know, they didn't understand that. And it's hard to sit here and try to explain and, and we can use our hands and stuff and we can see each other. But the people who are listening to this podcast aren't going to have a clue what we're talking about because oh, we're trying try. to use our hands. You, you, can, you can try to explain. <laughs> How about this one? Let me take a let me take a step back. I'm I'm skeptic, Mike. Right? I'm agnostic, Mike tonight. So I want to ask. So I as long as you're not date, Mike. No, no. <laughs> From the so so I, I I want to take a basic question that people have heard. Something simple, right? That everyone can kind of say, Ah, I've heard this before. When a ship goes over the horizon, 
I heard an argument that, okay, it disappears from the, from the mass all the way to the top, and that's proof that it's going down underneath the Earth. And I heard the other, other side say that it's just going out of sight. And if you had a bigger telescope because it's on a flat Earth, you would still see it. Let me toss it out. Bounce it around. So that one, there was a, uh, an experiment done. So there is a place where they, they did this experiment back in, I don't I'm going to get the year wrong, 1600s, 1400s, something like that. In, there's a canal that is six feet long and perfectly straight. And the person who did the experiment used a telescope and positioned it about eight inches above the water and had a boat with a mast that was like 12 feet tall and sent it out to the end. And he was like, at, at that, at those ratios, like you should have seen it disappear at three miles away if, if the earth curved the way it's supposed to curve. And he still saw it. So it was like, wait, what was happening? And then that's one of those where people explain it away with, oh, it's just the, the reflection and refraction of, of the light against the water and against the atmosphere. And those are one of those arguments where I don't like it because it's not satisfying. It doesn't help someone try to understand it. I have never actually paid attention when I've been out in the bay or on the ocean or anything to see what you're talking about. Um, or when driving towards the mountains, I've never paid that much attention to if I see the top of the mountain up here first. Um, but what I would love to do is I would love to do that experiment. I, but what I would love to do is have a person sitting at, let's say, 10 feet above the water and have a mast that's 50 feet tall and have it go away on that canal, wherever this was, somewhere in Europe, and show or like be able to see that, yes, the bottom of it should disappear before, before the top of it. And this, uh, on this Flat Earth podcast that I was listening to and trying to prep for this, the guy was talking about being able to see tall buildings across vast amounts of water. But I couldn't find like his exact distances to be able to do it. So I actually worked out the math myself too. And I made a spreadsheet of what you should be able to see, but I don't currently have a way to test it right now. So I, I just want to jump in. I, I mean, I live, in, I live at a beach, so we go to the beach all the time in the summer and I've never seen a ship disappear because it got so small. I couldn't see it, but I have seen it sink beneath the horizon you know so i mean uh, so but it, you know that's just kind of like how i might respond to that it's like uh you know if it, you think if it was flat it would just get it would just be so far away that my i wouldn't be able to see it right but that's this is not how it, hey, not how it happens well let me okay so now this is to, to jen's point i thought that was excellent because this is what gets me sometimes about the science stuff and that is they will reference an experiment that happened 200 years ago. And what I find interesting is, is no one's repeated it. So science is supposed to be repeatable. So I, and the person you're talking about is Samuel Rosenbacham or Botham, I think is his name. Ah, uh, yes, yes. Yeah, real familiar with that one. So uh, 
he did that experiment a while ago, and obviously that was during his era. But I find it interesting because no one's repeated it. And I'm like, this is 2021 now. I'm going to have to jump in. Skeptic Mike saw that being repeated from some flat earth and uh, round earth people one time. So I did see that one repeated. (laughs) Okay. Well, and this this is the interesting thing. I only bring that up because this is an ongoing debate because what happens, I, I went to Hawaii, right? And as you know, it is nothing but a, 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 a this now I'm talking personally. And boom, you're on the ocean, you see stuff. And the most interesting thing is, as soon as you pull out a pair of binoculars, whatever disappeared out your view pops back into it. So if the earth is really on a sphere or a ball and something disappears below the horizon, you being able to pull out a telescope should never pop it into view because it's gone over the quote unquote heel. So I find it interesting that the more larger or the larger, more powerful telescope you come up with, the object simply pops back into view. And what Jen is referring to is, is there was a, there was a, I think it was Michigan, it was Lake Michigan, and someone was on one side of it. And according to the um, specifications that NASA gives us for the, the circumference of the earth. They were able to see, I don't know the name of the city on the opposite side of the lake, but you can't see it on a globe. So what happened was it made the news. And what, what their explanation on the news was, is it was, you know, the cloud was really reflecting the, the city and it reflected it up so everybody could see it, but you really can't see it. They, were, they basically were telling people, you didn't really see what you saw because of the clouds. And I find science is interesting because it does that same thing in reverse when it comes to the telescope thing. They say, well, the ship, the reason you're not seeing it is because it's going around a curve. But I'm like, well, that doesn't make sense because if I pull out a telescope, it pops back into view and it always pops back into view. That's the thing. In other words, the more powerful and more powerful of a telescope you get, the ship that disappeared simply reappears. And on a globe, that just simply wouldn't be possible. Yeah, I think we may need to investigate the always of that statement, but um, <laughs> yeah. all right, so it's, it's all good. <laughs> I, mean, it, I think it's the other way around. I think it only takes one time to disprove it if you say always, but that's usually, it's, but it's all it's good. A good point. It hasn't been disproven yet, let me put it that way. <laughs> so I know, Mike, you might want to jump in, but I, I wanted to ask, uh, you know, because I feel like in, in these types of discussions, like it's really hard to provide enough evidence to convince the other person to change their mind. And that's even why we even brought the whole epistemology question, because, you know, what really counts as evidence here? And I feel like there's like, I really want to know what amount of evidence would it take, for instance, to convince Aaron to say, you know what, I was wrong, right? And Jen, what type of evidence would it take to say, you know what, I was wrong? What evidence counts? Jen, you want to take this first or me? I mean, you'd have to tell me that my satellites that I think I'm watching in space just don't even exist. (laughs) And this is what you do every day. Uh, Yes, yes. So it's like, so then is is someone just making all this stuff up for me to do every day? And uh, one of my other jobs used to be monitoring space debris because other satellites that are up there could encounter space debris and if they come into a probability of conjuncting with this object it was my job to tell that mission that hey you should try to maneuver your satellite and if if none of that debris exists then 
then that seems like a crazy idea. So yeah, I mean, this is the world I live in. So basically you'd be saying my, my, my entire world is gone. <laughs> yeah. so that, I, I don't know what I, what I'm doing every day. <laughs> well, is there any, is there any evidence that's out of bounds? Is there anything that, you know, I mean, what counts as, you know, like this, this is evidence towards saying this is true or not true. I mean, could there be an alternative theory for everything? Maybe not flat earth, but could there be another theory we haven't thought of I mean, yet that explains everything? For, for me, it's all about the math. Okay. If you can provide me equations for how everything could still work, then, then sure, I'd listen to that. If there was something that, like, if, if the earth was actually flat and what was actually happening to my satellites is they were popping into like some other dimension on the other side and popping back up on the other side i guess that could work too so <laughs> let me let me summarize real quick so i i think jen you're bringing up a bring a math you bring up a hard this is a hard science in which we all come to agree upon uh, mathematical principles now we're, i could talk about what base math we're speaking in but it always logically comes out to be the same when we when we do formulas and formulation so your appeal is back to that rational side of math to be a foundation of if i can calculate this then it must be accurately verifiable repeatable testable right all right good yeah okay. yeah i guess that's that's where yeah that's where my life lives all right all right good good <laughs> now aaron let's uh, toss that one to you what would it take for you to say if I took, you know, uh, let me back up. So I, I had to throw this out here. Now I'm, I'm still being agnostic here, but I went out on my research. I saw this meme and it was a cat and it had a flat earth on its back. And it said, if the world was flat, cats would have knocked everything off of it by now. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right, that's a, that was about the lamest meme I've seen, but I had to throw it out. But no. So would, it, would that meme convince you, Aaron? You know, what, what would it take for you? to be convinced to revert back to your old thinking. See, that's, that's, that, that is the thing, you know, it's interesting because I've been on the globe train most of my life. I only recently got off and that's important because again, we were all baptized in the globe model. It's been taught for the last four or 500 years. I don't care if you're in a democracy or uh, any kind of uh, a communist, social, whatever. They all, we all get taught that we're on a, and I have to keep pointing this out, a spinning globe. And, you know, to Jen's point, you know, I, I went out there because of course I'm curious. So I Googled satellites and it's the most weirdest thing. When you Google satellite, not a single picture of one pops up. We supposedly have thousands of satellites all around. Every country has got them all over the place. But I Google it and I get like one. Uh, and it's normally the Hubble. And that's and normally what's funny that's to me the is- the one Jen's working on. That's oh, is it? Okay. And, no, yeah. two, she works on two. No. Two, okay. <laughs> but I mean, eight. It's, it's, and nine. <laughs> it's interesting to note, and, I, and again, I always encourage people to do this for something that is supposed to be so. In other words, cars exist. I don't. And when I Google them, a bunch of cars pop up. You know, if satellites were so prevalent in the in, in the air, we had so many of them. I find it interesting that pretty much ninety nine percent of the satellites that they listed are our artist rendition of a satellite. No one can actually give me a picture of one. Then when you say to convince me, you know, I, I Googled Saturn, I Googled Mars, I Googled any of the planets, and all of them are artist renditions. 
all of them are called images because they can't be called photos because every last one of them has been doctored on some sort of level by somebody at NASA. In other words, every single quote unquote photograph is touched by a computer hand to do something to it. And in a lot of cases, the entire thing has been simply put up on a computer and they tell us this is Mars, this is Jupiter. But if you look to Wes's point through an actual instrument, a telescope, the real view of these things is simply a black and white grainy image 2D for the most, and that's just the truth. So I say to myself, what we are being presented as 3D is of course a computer model, but what exists that I can actually see is in 2D and could just as easily just be a circle. And the interesting point to me regarding the math is this, I wonder what the math is based on, because it's interesting to me that all of this math seemed to work so well for 4,500 years. So when did the math break? So in other words, the same thing math we're talking about that was able to predict seasons, that could predict lunar eclipses down to the second, that could give you phases of the moon. All of this math that predicted these things worked for 4,500 years on a flat model. So at what point in time did the math break to no longer work on that model? So in my thinking, we either have something today that we're, we're in other words, the ancients knew something we don't and it's not being taught to us, or those guys were just extremely lucky. Because that's something, in other words, that's my point. I, I don't, to be honest with you, I don't necessarily, I'm not necessarily a diehard flat earther. I'm not one of those people. I'm in search of truth. And what's interesting to, to me, I love these discussions. I'm glad Mike put this together because those questions aren't being asked. So let me jump out here. Can you give me a quick soundbite? What would convince you for the primary question? Would it be further photography, understanding the satellites more, having access to them? What would it take? I think Jen's Jen's answer was she can measure it mathematically. So right. So for me, in a summer nutshell, yeah. And one word, a photograph. A photograph. I need to see it. You claim hey, you about, went to the moon. What about and you the, took the picture? Uh, back here, back here in my uh, neutral position, I was watching on the internet last night, and I saw this thing on Mars, and I saw some videos. It was in uh, HD. And it was a panoramic. I could spin all the way around and look all the way around Mars. But it kind of looked like New Mexico when I went there, too. So um, <laughs> I don't know if I was looking at Mars or New Mexico, right? It, it, Is that what you would say, Eric? <laughs> that's exactly right. I actually have the island, the island where they actually tested the rovers before they sent them up to allegedly Mars. And interestingly enough, it looks exactly like Mars. And again, this information is out there on the internet. That's why I love technology now. It's the truth. We're going to get to it. Um, you know, it looks strikingly like, so in other words, we're taking NASA's word on faith that they have three remote control cars, or now one, I think the other two may or may not have broke, I don't know, that they're remote controlling and, you know, driving around Mars, tapping on the surface and taking pictures of the ground, which they spent billions of dollars on um, for us to basically do that. And to that point, Mike, I find it interesting that we had to fly past that moon that we've only landed on once to get there, I guess. And I'm saying to myself, China China says they landed on the moon the other day, right? Have you guys seen the picture of the flag that they put in the ground? I heard I, about I it, this. but I didn't actually I watch it. I encourage everyone to please go, go Google that. Like a two-year-old could have done that on CGI, honestly. Like it was, to Mike's point, we got 4K, 
Mike, 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 you were wrong. We got 8K now, bro. And no telling. They, you know, oh, we, we, yeah, I said 8K. Yeah, we, yeah. We're moving up. So I'm telling myself, how can a technologically advanced nation? And you notice NASA didn't say a word. NASA didn't say, oh, that's no. That's so, you guys are not on there. We're actually coming up to the top of the hour, and I'll probably uh, tip my hat. I'll take off my uh, skeptic mic and uh, lay my cards <laughs> on the table here. So I am a round earth guy. Uh, it's something you guys probably didn't know is my grandfather, well, uh, sure, Carl, right. Carl Lieberman, worked for NASA on the Apollo 13. He passed when I was a, a kid, but I had opportunity to go through a lot, a lot of the old documents that were laying around, which is pretty cool. I guess I'd need some more convincing in order to be uh, converted <laughs> at this point. I have a question. I have a quick. I mean, I feel like I, I think there's probably this, something we didn't talk about, and I wanted to bring up on epistemology is the role of because I feel like you know for Jen, you know, I feel like math and science is a huge role in the, in, her, in her belief system, right? In terms of what's an authority, whereas right. I feel like I feel like the authority is different for you, Aaron. Like there's like. I'm, you're not anti-science or anti-math, but that's not the authority for your belief, right? right? Yes. So you have a different system of what is authoritative at, at that point. And I think that's going to be the, the case with everybody is that if you have two different systems of authority, you never come to an agreement um, on any of that stuff. And you'll never be able to convince the other person either until you can show the other person why your source of authority is, is worthwhile. Um, but I mean, I, I do think that you know, I wanted to just bring up something real at the end, and this is something, you know, Mike, and I'll let you, you know, take it somewhere too, but one of the things that you know, I heard of critical realism, it's a form of epistemology. There's, so you can say that the, that there's a real world. I think we all agree the world exists, and that it exists outside of our minds. Now, not everyone believes that, right? But I, we believe there is a real world that exists outside of our mind, and we can know something about it. Right now, the question is to what degree do we know something about it and how do we know something about it? Um, but one this idea of critical realism help is, is going to help us because, like, there is there needs to be a place for tradition, right? And you know, religious tradition, you know, other types of cultural tradition, scientific tradition to have their role in this discussion. And we have to until we hammer that part out, then you know, we're going to be on different pages, right? But like. A critical realist says, well, we can know something about the real world, but our knowledge of the real world is never complete. And there's no one system of thought that can give a complete view of the world. And so our, our theories and our belief systems are then maps, right? Our blueprints of reality. And we need multiple maps, multiple blueprints to be able to see the whole. And sometimes those maps will contradict one another and we have to come to some sort of say, okay, well, here's where we're banging heads. One of us is right, one of us is wrong, or maybe we're both wrong. Maybe there's another map we need to check out, right? And then we can, and then, you know, once as we, as in a, in a community, really, right? None of us can have this knowledge on our own. There's no such thing as private knowledge. We're all standing on the shoulders of giants, whether that's the things we've learned or just even our worldview based on what's come before us, right? Is that, is that we, you know, we have to come together and, and, and learn from one another and try to come to some sort of like, okay, I need to have a better understanding of reality. We all need to have a better understanding of reality. Um, but as it comes to this particular discussion, the main really question is, is like, what's the value? Like, is there, like, if I come to some conclusion about reality, right? And it, and it, what, what is the value that it adds? Is it descriptive? Maybe it's descriptive. Maybe, maybe in my, system it works maybe it's a coherent system 
right? Maybe it's inconsistent with reality in some areas, or maybe it's perfectly consistent with reality, but it's a little incoherent, right? But like, what value does it add for me to, to hold this versus the other, right? And I feel like, like, what is the benefit of being a flat earther versus being a sphere earther, right? And, you know, should people adopt one or the other for some future benefit? That so, is a good question. That's a great question. That Wes. is a great question, Wes. Should I, should I jump in there first? Like, go, ahead. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. I mean, you know, it's funny to me because that is, that is the question. And it's interesting because people have asked me that. And I've asked people in response, why is any government's education system so violently, and I use that term loosely, but truthfully, opposed to anyone thinking that they're on one. In other words, it's almost like it's become a religion where it is, you know, you are laughed at off the, off your flat earth because you happen to believe that you're on a flat earth. And I, you know, I find it interesting having been out there looking at all kinds of you know, uh, uh, theories. I don't like to call them conspiracy theories, but they're just theories. And for some reason, this flat earth one seems to be the one that they, that they've erased the most. In other words, when this thing came out, it was a movement that existed from the government that started forcing these different platforms to start deleting this information. And it just struck me as odd because you got JFK stuff out there. They don't care. I mean, who cares assassinate JFK? Hey, hey, have at it. They don't care about the UDM. You know, it doesn't matter. And that aliens, UFOs, it doesn't matter. They let it go. But as soon as it came to this flat earth thing, everything just shut down. They YouTube, you know, and these different platforms started changing the links around. And to, to, to Wes's point, that kind of struck me as odd. I said, why does it, that was my question. Why does it matter? If I believe, let's say I, I teach my, my kids and my kids' kids that they're on a flat earth. Am I going to be a non-functioning member of society because of that? I can still go get a job. I'm still good at computers. Um, I'm still going to be able to go get something to eat. I can still go to basketball games. So what is the thing, the main difference between the globe model and the flat earth model is simply this. The flat earth model is enclosed. It says there's a closure above us and we can't get out of it. The globe model says we're in this endless universe spinning at 1,000 miles an hour, going 66,000 miles through this universe. I don't know why it's not 65 or 67. It magically made it to 66, but that's a whole nother conversation. Because that's it, an English version, in yes, English system. Right, I, right, I, and it, it, it made it out to 66 exactly. I was like, that's odd. But anyway, it's flying through this endless universe. And what they've convinced everybody with Star Trek and Star Wars and Aliens and all of these movies is, is that we're going to the stars, which is why they're now driving these remote controls around Mars. My, Wes, my short answer to that question is, is for some reason, the governments of the world want people to believe that we're somehow in an infinite universe with a purpose all our own to go wherever we want to as soon as we have the technological capability to do it. And the flat earth model is completely the opposite, saying something created us, we're inside of it, we can't get out, and we can't get out into whatever it has created us lets us out. That's my reason. I can't so think of another me, one. Let me summarize. This is good. So I'm gonna I'm gonna step back and and uh, now I'm not being, now I'm not, I'm just being objective, you know, giving, regurgitating what I've heard. 
And I think that Wes's setup here on epistemology, I think, really nails down the big question on why we believe what we believe. And I think a key word for the conversation tonight is presuppositions. The presuppositions that we come to the, come to the data with, we are putting that on the data. And it's because it's the lens in which we see things, it's the way, as I mentioned, the worldview, the way we see the world. And Jen, summarize your view. You're coming from, a, from just plain naturalistic, factual, this is what it is. The numbers line up, this is the data, this is the evidence, test it, verify. And Harley seems to be coming from a little more of a skeptical standpoint that the Bible claiming the Bible teaches flat earth and that you are skeptically seeing elements of cover-up. And it appears that you're looking for evidence to back that up. No, not exactly. Not, no, I don't, I don't, I don't, I see, in other words, I forget the Bible. If we toss the Bible out, I'm coming from this, the, 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 the standpoint of show me. In other words, the paper says what it does, but so did paper for 4,500 years. The math said what it did for 4,500 years. In other words, all of this math was working on, was allegedly now on both models. So I can't say the math is telling me one thing or the other. So now I come from the aspect of show me, give me a picture, show me something you claim you've been so high with all of these satellites, but I can't seem to find one photo of our world or honestly even Mars that they claim they landed on. They've got rovers of going around it and they didn't take a picture on the on the on the, on the approach. So the, all right, let me back up with my analysis. So Wes, you're about to say something? Well no, I, yeah, yeah. Let's no, I think you made your analysis. I, I'm interested to hear what I, I'm sorry, Mike, cut you off. I want to I want to give Jen a chance to respond to us, but it's been a long time us talking and she hadn't said anything. So I want Yeah, it's true, true. I, I want to get yeah, let her respond first and then maybe we can come back to it. Oh, I've had so many things and now I've forgotten them all. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay. So the first thing is, is you say there's no pictures, but I don't understand what there's no pictures means because you can go to websites and you can see pictures, but I get what you're saying where they're, they're all digitized or been touched by technology somehow so what is it about that that makes you skeptical do you think that they're just not real so so with when like the instruments that are on the the uh the satellite that i operate they they are taken in different wavelengths so if you go on the usgs's website you can see like the first image and it looks just terrible and then what they have to do is they kind of put colors to different wavelengths. And yeah, they do have to kind of doctor them to kind of make them look like real pictures based on the, like, like they're not just like point and shoot cameras. Um, I don't understand the technology behind it all, but that doesn't mean I don't believe that they're real. So I'm, I'm curious what makes you think that they are not real. Well, if you've seen the movie Enemy of the State with Will Smith, right, this was obviously a number of years ago, and they had satellites there that could read the license plates on cars, and now I'm fully aware they got satellites that can count the number of hairs, the number of hairs on your head almost with such precision. I find it interesting that for the billions of dollars that are spent on NASA that they have to touch anything, 
when they have that level of technology. So from the, my, my thinking, this is like you said, this is, I guess, the way my brain wraps around it. And I'm not saying this is right or wrong. This is just the way I think. I say to myself, I say, why do you have to touch anything if that was just, if that was the picture that you claim it was? Give me that raw grainy picture and let everyone put their colors to it. Why? Because there's a lot of intelligent scientists and physicists and mathematicians who don't work for NASA that could take that same raw data. In other words, it's almost like NASA saying, we're going to keep the data and not let anybody else touch it. Only our guys can do X, Y, Z to it. And then we're going to put this image out there. Once they tell me that, my thinking goes, well, you can do anything to it. That's just the reality. That's fair. It, you know, I'm, I'm, and I'm, you know, I don't want to really, it's just a fact, you know, in other words, I know the governments of the world do all kinds of things to their people, you know, they just, that do, is fair. You know, you know they, they tell them all kinds of stuff is going on. Uh, and, and, and the reality is, is a lot of humans, the way we operate, a lot of us think that, Hey, you know what? I don't want to just accept your word for that. Mm-hmm. That's the case. Go ahead and release it because if it's just a picture, it's not, it's not, um, it's not um classified. It isn't top secret. So just put it out there on the internet and let us play with this raw data you claim that you have. That's all. It's just it's just a healthy skepticism to say, if it's so benign, let us take a look at it. That's all. Right, so. right. No, that's fair. I, I'm going to send you a website. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step back and point out. So I, I do think there have been some great points made tonight. I think, Aaron, you, you've made some good points. I can appreciate a healthy skepticism because I, yes. I myself, <laughs> I would consider myself a healthy skeptic of a lot of things. I don't just take anything that comes my way. I'm a, I like to, that's part of the podcast, you know, like think critically that we can discuss these things coming from different views and dialogue through them. And, and tonight's has been great. Jen, I, I really appreciated all, you know, your conversation on focusing on math and calculations and, and the fact that this is your world. You wake up, <laughs> your round world <laughs> that you wake up in and uh, uh, is Aaron's flat world he wakes up in. And, you know, and, and we all go about our lives and we live in community and we can have these conversations and, and we all plead to like get together and barbecue once this COVID <laughs> calms, calms yes. down soon. But uh it has been really good having you guys on tonight. And Wes, you got anything you want to throw out there as we wrap this one up? Uh, anything else I thought we'll be here another hour. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I got some bombs. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> nah, it's, it, it's been good. I mean, I, I think to throw my cards on the table, um, you know, I'm not a flat earth, flat earth guy. You know, I do think as it comes to math and science, it's very valuable. I think any model you have should, you know, whether it's flat earth or, or, or spherical earth or, you know, what's the center of the universe or what's not, how big it is, you know, the pursuit of that, you know, and the value of the pursuit of that type of knowledge, what, which model encourages more of that and which discourages more of that, you know, that's, that's maybe a question I'll leave with. I mean, I feel like, I mean, it's kind of not fair at the end to kind of, because it's like, you know, if I, if I were to say, well, flat earth must be it. Like, well, why would I want to continue pursuing, you know, this knowledge of the, of the, of the heavenlies in the way that we are. Right. So, but I feel like those things are good. You know, I, I like the fact that I have a GPS, which, you know, takes into account, you know, the, you know, the curvature of space time to even work, you know? So like, you know, those types, there's types of things that, that there's a system that, yeah, it makes, the thing is, it's like Jenna said, like it, it works, right? 
it makes sense, <laughs> right? And now another theory can come up that makes more sense. And who knows, maybe Flat Earth is just in its beginning stages and two centuries from now to be some, you know, some somehow you'll be able to prove that's exactly how it is. And that makes the most sense of things, right? That's possible, right? But, you know, what would it take to get there? And, you know, would, what pursuits, uh, you know, or even which one of those two theories even lends to the fact that one, that it could become a, a dominant theory, you know? So, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I just feel like there's, so you know, Wes, uh, you know, kind of pull us together a little bit. I mean, we're talking when we when we talk about hard sciences, we would we would this, this would generally fall within that category. And Aaron's saying, hey, you know what? This this is technically a little more of a softer science than a hard science. And you know what? Uh, to Aaron's point, he said the data is out there. Research it. So anyone listening, the data is out there. Research it. <laughs> right. This conversation was good. I enjoyed it. I yeah. I, I like the I like the dialogue, the the healthy conversation. I I do think that this is a lost art to be able to do this. So I like the fact that we're able to kind of revise it, you know, mm. bring it back to life. And I'm gonna go ahead and close this out. So thank you, thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Jen. Again, thank you, Wes. For all the listeners, this is Intersecting Ideas. This is Mike Park signing off for the night. Give us a like and a share. Thanks for joining.